0: hello and welcome to a reason for hope happy new year to you this is our first show of 2023 and we're very glad that you're joining us hope you had a wonderful christmas and new year and we are excited to be back can hardly believe 2023 we should be hovering around in vehicles in the sky by now but we're not but that's okay we're here to receive and answer your bible questions With the help of the Bible itself, God's Word, that's right, your questions guide our show along. So if you have questions about the Bible, any honest question, as long as you're um, wanting an answer straight out of Scripture, that's what we're here to do. So it could be a verse or passage of Scripture that has kind of confused you, you'd like to delve further into, maybe something you're going through in your world, in your life, maybe something going on in the world. Um, Again, any question, any honest question of the heart, As long as you know, we're going to delve into the Bible to find those answers in God's word. And uh, we're very glad you're joining us. You can join us on multiple platforms, which I'll explain in a moment and send your questions in to us. Before we go any further, my name is Dave Robson. I'm glad to be back as host with uh, you today and with us in the studio, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm getting better. Uh, It's been a difficult last couple days. I did find out how long it takes hanging upside down for the human body to lose consciousness.
0: Oh, yeah. How long is that?
1: I think it was the last time I googled it, about 15 minutes, but I guess it depends where you're hanging upside down from.
0: (laughs) 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 Did you do extensive research in this, personally speaking?
1: (laughs) No, actually, my physical ailment managed to keep me asleep for 25 hours, though, which is a record. i Longest I've ever been able to sleep without the
0: aid of medicine. My goodness. Are you feeling better today? No, no. <laughs> it's been a lot. We've all been under the weather at one time or another. Yeah, we've got uh, a fellowship here. <laughs> as of, yeah, as Pastor Scott is with us also, he's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How you doing? You feeling better? I am
2: doing better. If uh, you last caught me in action on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you know that uh, the uh, <laughs> the dreaded bug had seized my throat. A, little at a couple of yeah. inopportune moments. You know, Einstein said that uh, that time was relative. You know, and that the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down. But I mm-hmm. think I have another insight on relativity: time slows down to a almost a standstill when you're standing in front of 400 people and your throat seizes and you can't get your voice back. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, when I finished that particular <laughs> incident, uh, coming down uh, to the uh, the encouraging bosom of my family, my Firstborn son here, uh, Sean commented. Now we know why people are afraid of public speaking. Right.
0: <laughs> I said, "Thank you very little. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but you almost sounded uh, sounded emotional when you. It was almost making me cry. It sounded like everything you said was. You were kind of. Tearing up, but it was yeah. more the yeah. cough and the. Yeah. I just it was feeling sorry for myself. Right, maybe if it was a Good Friday service, it would yeah. have been. But Christmas, the celebration. But yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad your voice is back and you're you're feeling better. And we yeah, hope. You full were,
2: disclosure: I was not emotionally overcome. My throat just yeah. decided to right. go on strike. Yeah, <laughs> and you can
0: watch our archive if you'd like to experience that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Say, look at him! Look at him struggle up there. <laughs>
0: Yes, indeed. Well, we hope you're well. We know there's been a lot of sickness going around and a sickness that's like to stick around for several weeks. So we hope you're well. And even if you're not well and at home, we're glad that you can join us on multiple uh, platforms. So keep in mind that uh, Reason for Hope is a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, Arizona. If you are in the Tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship, you're very welcome to come and check us out. We're right in the uh, Prince and I 10 area on the west side of the freeway there. And also keep that in mind as you're trying to find us online Uh, you can find us on our website calvarychristianfellowship.com follow the watch live tab and that will take you to a page where there's a chat box and you can watch us live and interact with uh, me personally as i feel those questions coming in also on facebook calvary christian fellowship of tucson you'll find us there as well same kind of deal get on that chat box send your question in try and get them in early because we do run out of time um so if you get your questions in early i can put them on my list and uh, we'll try to get to all of those questions on youtube the channel is A Reason for Hope. So if you join us on YouTube, A Reason for Hope is how to find us. We have an app as well on Roku or Apple TV or even on your mobile device, your iPhone, iPad, Android device, etc. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship, you'll find our um, app and you can download and watch us there as well. And that's the same place to go for our regular services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings. You can find us live there on those same channels. You can fi- follow Pastor Scott on Twitter as well at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H, where he posts highlights from the show and kind of commentary on world events and funny things and serious things and prophetic things. And Pathetic thing, not yeah, pathetic. Thing. That's, that's <laughs> pathetic thing. I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> All kinds of good things. You can follow him along there as well. And our email address, almost forgot to say, hope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. Should you want to email us anytime, day or night, and we um, get to those questions as well. So, again, please send your questions in and we will get to them uh, on the show. Uh, today if you get those questions in early. But before we go any further, who's up for praying today? I know you guys are so adverse to the thought of talking to God. Boy, I'd love to do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Lord, thank you for meeting us
2: here. And I thank you, Lord, that although there's uh, three people on the screen here, you're present here through your spirit. You said you'd never leave us and never forsake us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is present here to lead us and guide us into all truth. Do that, Lord. I pray that we would come away from this time, maybe having an insight into your scripture that we've never had before, Lord. Uh, perhaps hearing your voice applying the principles that we explore and the answers to these questions in in a way that could change someone's life forever. Lord, I, I pray especially uh, for those who uh, may be looking in and feeling a little, maybe just curious about what these Christians are all about. I pray that you, through your Spirit, would speak to them, draw them to you, and that there would be people that would pass. Uh, from death into life, literally, and come into a living relationship with you as a result of what goes on here today. We give you this time in Jesus' name,
0: yeah. amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I know, um, Scott, you keep um, very well up to date with uh, going on in the world, especially the Middle East, and you mentioned before the show that there are some very interesting happenings going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's an old Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times, mm-hmm. and if you that's true,
2: then we may be some of the most cursed people the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We are, are fond of reminding you all on the program that uh, when it comes to Bible prophecy and the proximity of our, of our lives to the return of Jesus, there is one uh, focal point that we need to have if we're going to stay on track, and that is Israel. Uh, our good friend Don Stewart put it this way, that on God's prophetic calendar, God uh, looks at Israel and sees Israel like a a timepiece, if you will. Uh, Israel, the nation, is God's hour hand. Uh, Jerusalem, the city, is God's minute hand. But the Temple Mount itself is God's second hand. And so uh, events that pertain to the place where uh, the Jewish temple once stood, that is now uh, the home of uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and the Dome of the Rock, uh, two Muslim shrines. Uh, boy, this is uh, an incredibly significant piece of the prophetic puzzle. And uh, over while well, we were on break, and and uh, specifically just in the last couple of days, there's been an incident that has taken place in Israel that has uh, great implications, and and I think uh, some direct uh, possible prophetic. Uh, links, if you will, uh, to some incidents the Bible predicts that are going to happen in the uh, time leading up to the return uh, of Jesus. Uh, While we were away uh, on hiatus, you may have heard that uh, Israel finally has a government, uh, that uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was able to cobble together the necessary coalition. We've explained to you how the parliamentary procedure uh, works over there. Uh, a, a individ, an individual has to head up uh, at least 61 members of the Jewish Knesset, their rough equivalent of our Senate, if you will. And uh, if you can put together that group, uh, there's 120 members, you've got a one-person majority, well then you can be the prime minister and form a government and uh, speak for the nation. Well, that happened uh, while we were on break. Uh, just about a week ago, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was officially uh, given the go-ahead to be the prime minister of Israel. But he's putting together a coalition. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, that you, you have to understand is it's kind of like finding out how the sausage gets made. Uh, there, there's a lot of deals that have to be made, a lot of politicking that has to be made. Uh, a lot of uh, concessions and compromises need to be made. And one of the ways that Benjamin Netanyahu was able to put together his government was by uh, putting together a deal with a group called the Religious Zionist Party. Uh, the Religious Zionist Party was a coalition of smaller parties, came together and kind of unified themselves, and now is the third largest voting block. In Israel, in, in the uh, Israeli Knesset. Its head is a man by the name of Ithamar Ben Giver. Uh, and in order to sway his votes and join in Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition, uh, Ithamar Ben Giver was rewarded by being named the National Security Minister, which is a cabinet level post, a big time position in Israel. The national security minister essentially is in charge of all the police forces in Israel. So not a minor uh, concession on Benjamin Netanyahu's part to get uh, Ben Giver to go along and be part of his coalition. Now, now Ben Giver is an interesting cat in a lot of ways. Uh, he has kind of gotten sideways with our State Department because of some of his uh, association With some controversial Jewish figures, including Meyer Kahana and other. Uh, Meyer Kahana uh, has passed away, but he was one that uh, adamantly uh, stood up for the idea that uh, all Arabs should be kicked out of Israel, that no Arab should have Israeli citizenship. If you ever hear Israel being uh, accused of being an apartheid state, well, if Meyer Kahana had had his way, it would have been an apartheid state, because uh, no uh, individual aside from a Jew would have any rights uh, to even be a citizen there, to even live in Israel whatsoever, to, uh, to, to be there. So,
1: Which notes two very, very important points for those of you listening. One, that's not, and hasn't been up until this present day, the status quo in Israel. right? And two, when we're specifying Arabs, we're not saying Muslims. There are Arab Christians in Israel. There are right. Arab secularists in Israel. There are Arab sympathizers, not only to the Jewish people, but specifically sects of Islam that were supporters of the Jewish people during the 1948 and 67 Yeah, we years. ate at
2: a restaurant in Israel that was run by such a family.
1: Yeah, and they yeah. like my foil art, too. Yeah. So, that was <laughs> so, in my book. Yeah,
2: so, you know, again, uh, if anybody comes to you and says is- Israel is an apartheid state, there are... Uh, uh, members of the Jewish Knesset, who are Arabs, who are Arab-Muslims, by the way, uh, whose uh, basic party position is that Israel should be destroyed as a nation, and yet they still have a position in the Knesset because they represent a certain amount of the population. So, And
1: also sating, because someone is Arab, does not necessarily mean that they're Muslim, and because if they're Muslim, that doesn't necessarily mean they know their theology well enough to call for the destruction or conquest of
2: Israel. Yeah, but you've so you've got a wide mix of people. So. The, the, the bottom line is this, uh, you know, Ben Giver has uh, always had some friction uh, with the United States. But that friction, uh, boy, you talk about uh, watching those survival programs. where They try to start a fire with, a, you know, a couple of sticks and things like that. And eventually you see sparks and it begins to grow. Well, we've seen some sparks that are definitely beginning to grow there. Uh, although Ben Giver has uh, said, you know, no, I don't believe. Uh, these sort of things anymore. I've moved on from uh, following the teachings of Meyer Kahana and others. Uh, He has openly stated, uh, without any kind of apology whatsoever, that the guidelines concerning the Temple Mount uh, should be changed in a significant way. He believes that uh, the Temple Mount should be open. Uh, as a place of prayer to anyone and everyone. Now, for those of you not familiar with how the Temple Mount operates right now, in 1967, when Israel took East Jerusalem during the 67 war, uh, the Muslims fully expected that the Jews would come in and bulldoze the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock and rebuild their Jewish temple. But Moshe Dayan, who was a very secular-oriented Jew, uh, head of the IDF decided to uh, offer an olive branch to the surrounding Arab nations, allowing the nation of Jordan to be able to be the ones who religiously administer uh, the place that we would know as the Temple Mount. The uh, Muslims call it the Noble Sanctuary. It is allegedly the third holiest place in Islam, and you know, Sean, you can probably fill us in on about how that is a fairly recent development in Islam. But the bottom line is that, uh, that Ben Giver uh, was one that said Jews should be able to freely pray on the Temple Mount, Christians should be able to pray on the Temple Mount, and Buddhists should be able to pray on the Temple Mount. It shouldn't just be restricted to Muslims, and he would make the point that in Israel, freedom of religion is a very important value in their culture. And so, a very interesting individual indeed. Now, rumors began to swirl that now being made, the national security minister, that uh, Ben Giver was going to make a trip to the Temple Mount. Uh, There was back and forth about all of this. The Israeli press was kind of uh, wondering when it was going to happen. There were rumors uh, going on. Well, it actually happened yesterday. Uh, uh, Itamar Ben Giver made a 13-minute trip up on the Temple Mount. And uh, again, uh, really interesting on uh, the uh, uh, All Israel uh, uh, News website. Our good friend Joel Rosenberg puts this together. The headlines describing this were kind of ironic in light of current events. It said this initially, Israelis have every right to visit the Temple Mount, uh, but uh, Ben Giver's timing is terrible. Uh, He went on to say uh, the uh, the original uh, article, actually uh, said uh, that uh, Ben Giver's visit to the Temple Mount passes without incident for now. Well, that was yesterday. Well, a lot can happen in 24 hours, Mm -hmm. especially when it relates to the people of Israel. That uh, lull didn't last very long. Uh, The Saudis, uh, the Palestinians, the Jordanians expressed their outrage that Ben Giver would make this kind of a trip To the Temple Mount. (coughs) In fact, uh, the United Arab Emirates went so far as to say that this was an assault, a direct assault, on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, that is significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, China and the United Arab Emirates got together and made a proposal calling for the United Nations Security Council to meet an emergency session in order to discuss this issue and condemn Itamar Ben-Giver's visit to the Temple Mount. Well, lo and behold, that is number one on the docket tomorrow. The UN Security Council is going to meet in full session. Uh, And uh, again, the other interesting thing about all of this is that uh, before Itamar Ben-Giver went to the Temple Mount, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the new Prime Minister of Israel, was scheduled to make a visit to The United Arab Emirates. Well, that visit, as you might imagine, has been postponed. Mm. Uh, In fact, uh, the uh, initial headline I read to you on all uh, Israel uh, news, allisrael.com, Israelis have every right to visit the Temple Mount, but Ben Giver's timing is terrible. Uh, Joel Rosenberg writes, Good grief, there is no reason for Israel's national security minister to pick a needless international fight in its government's first week. Well, actually, uh, it depends on how you look at things. Uh, from a political point of view, I would be the first one to agree with Joel Rosenberg. The first week of a new government doesn't need this kind of heat. I understand his point. Uh, calling this bad timing depends, though, on whether you're looking at it politically or, believe it or not, whether you're looking at the day that Itamar Ben-Giver decided to visit the Temple Mount. Catch this. Biblically, because the day was very significant biblically. You go, what, what do you mean? Well, on the Jewish calendar, yesterday was the 10th of Tevet, uh, Asara ba, ba Tevet in, in Hebrew. Uh, it was interestingly uh, a day that has been a fasting day in Israel uh, for quite some time. It commemorates, believe it or not, the day that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon arrived outside the gates of Jerusalem and began a 30-month siege of Jerusalem uh, that would end up with the destruction of King Solomon's glorious temple when Jerusalem finally fell. In fact, uh, biblically, kind of an interesting thing, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 24, we see God telling the prophet Ezekiel that this was a day that should be remembered on the Jewish calendar. We read this in Ezekiel 24 and verse 1. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, write down the name of the day, this very day. The king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. In other words, God was saying to Ezekiel, I want you guys to remember the tenth of Tevet. I want you to remember when Nebuchadnezzar showed up, when all of the predictions that the prophets had made were going to come to pass. Now, it's also, interestingly enough, the 10th of Tevet, a day of other interesting developments. In other words, do you commemorate the fact that the temple was destroyed? Why does Ben-Giver go up there on this particular day? It wasn't just because his schedule was cleared. He was making a point. He was saying that the Temple Mount is just that. It's not the noble sanctuary. It's not something that even the Palestinians claim uh, is a myth, that the temple never existed. Mm -hmm. It was his way of saying that a cabinet-level member of the Israeli government is going to affirm the fact that this is, in fact, the Temple Mount. But it even goes deeper than that. The 10th of Tevet, believe it or not, was also a day, believe it, uh, or that's kind of an interesting thing, Uh, where uh, the Septuagint, now if you don't know what the Septuagint is, it literally refers to the Seventy. It is a uh, very interesting uh, development in Judaism in that uh, it was the first time that the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, was translated from Hebrew into Greek. Hmm. Uh, On the uh, Chabad.org website, Uh, Rabbi uh, Menach Posner Posner, uh, writes this about it. Determining to have the Torah translated into Greek following an unsuccessful attempt 61 years earlier, the ruling Alexandrian Greek emperor Ptolemy gathered 72 Torah sages, had them sequestered in 72 separate rooms, and ordered them to each produce a translation of the Torah from Hebrew into Greek. On the 8th of Tevet of the year, 246 BC, They produced 72 identical translations.
1: Hmm.
2: Very interesting. This was miraculous. This is on the Kavat website, especially since there were 13 places where the translators intentionally diverged from the literal translation. Very interesting. Hmm. Despite uh, this miracle the rabbis viewed this day uh, through kind of a jaundiced eye, it was also associated with the day of the uh, golden calf worship in Israel. But having said that, very interesting. Here we see a day that commemorates what? The Jewish scriptures being made accessible to who? Non-Jewish people. Mm -hmm. So you not only have the 10th of Tevet commemorating the destruction of the temple, uh, Ithmar Ben-Giver going up and making a statement that this is our property, this is our land, this is the holiest place in Judaism, uh, and we're not going to budge on that point, but also Ben Giver, remember, was a strong advocate of making the Temple Mount a place of prayer accessible to anyone and everyone. Now Sean Mm -hmm. and I've been on the Temple Mount a couple of different times and uh, you're not allowed to kneel, you're not allowed to lift your hands, you're not allowed to fold your hands in any kind of position of prayer. If you do, Uh, The uh, goon squad from the Wakfa, which is the uh, name of the Jordanian uh, empowered uh, group that oversees things on the Temple Mount, they will come up and hit you with a stick (coughs) and probably uh, give you the bums rush off the temple. If anyone but a Muslim prays on this site. Now, Itzamar ben Giver says, no, in Israel we have uh, freedom of religion, Why should that not apply to the most sacred place in all of Judaism? Well, the reason that it doesn't is because this keeps everybody playing nice in the Middle East and uh, keeps war from from breaking out. Now, also, we are told another scripture about the tenth of (coughs) Tibet in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8. In Zechariah, chapter 8, and verse 18, we are told, The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth month shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall come, inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Well, Itamar Ben-Giver knows these scriptures. Mm. He knows that the 10th of Tevet was something that was designed to commemorate the destruction of the temple. He knows that in the future, the 10th of Tevet will commemorate a time of joy and celebration, not fasting. Why? Because the temple will become a place of, not just of prayer and instruction in the word for the Jewish people, but for all people. Mm. So really significant things going on. Well, the reactions to all of this, you can imagine, are predictable. The Palestinians in Gaza uh, commemorated the event by attempting to launch a rocket at Israel, which promptly fell right on a building in Gaza, which I think is kind of an ironic uh, sort of uh, way of describing the whole conflict uh, there. It's also normal. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the United States, well, where are we at in all of this? The United States plans to speak out tomorrow against the Israeli policy. On the Jerusalem Post website, we read the Biden administration plans to speak out against Israel at the UN Security Council debate late Thursday afternoon against any changes to the status quo of Jerusalem's Temple Mount, including allowing non-Muslims to pray on the Temple Mount. Mm. Uh, U.S. State Department spokesman uh, Ned Price told reporters in Washington, we stand firmly for the preservation of the historic status quo. With respect to the holy sites in Jerusalem, any unilateral action that departs from that historic status quo is unacceptable. He explained the Biden administration planned to air that view when it spoke at the Security Council tomorrow. We will be able to reiterate our views to our fellow Security Council members. Well, very interesting. Uh, What about Benjamin Netanyahu? He's just put together this brand spanking new coalition government. Mm. Uh, One of his most influential and most crucial allies in this government has made a trip up to the Temple Mount. Uh, What does he say about all of this? Well, you know, we might expect him to kind of play the politician and try to get everybody to get back on the same page, but uh, very interesting, he's defending Ben Giver, arguing that his visit, which highlighted Israeli sovereignty over the site, was not a violation of the status quo agreement that uh, came about in 67, but uh, again, in a speech to a conference on Wednesday, he said that Israel planned to hold firm to its principles on the international stage. He said this, Instead of bowing our heads and submitting to the dictates of the international community, we will proudly uphold our interests in the state of Israel and the land of Israel. Netanyahu, whose sixth government was sworn in just last week, promised the Jerusalem audience his coalition was in power to make changes, including regarding Israel's foreign Relations Now, here's the money quote. We will carry out a revision in foreign relations Our voice will be heard in the world hmm. Now what does that mean exactly what revisions are going to be made as far as Jewish policy is concerned? What revisions uh, could possibly be made as far as the status quo agreement that prohibits any other prayer? but Muslim prayer to be offered on the Temple Mount Uh, We didn't know. You wanted to, uh, okay. Uh, But the the bottom line is this. What does this have to do with things prophetically? Well, we do know one thing about where all this is going. In Revelation chapter 11, uh, we are given a vision of the future of this temple mount. Uh, There we read, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, it does appear that uh, the status quo in the tribulation period is going to be an arrangement that is going to allow Jews and Gentiles to pray on the Temple Mount. Uh, There's going to be a division that is going to allow this sort of thing to happen, whether that preserves The status of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and uh, the Dome of the Rock, uh, we really don't know for sure. But we do know that it's moving in that direction. Hmm. So Itamar van Giver is kind of bringing all of this to the forefront. Uh, He's kind of uh, speaking out loud what a lot of people think in the back of their minds. Well, why are we being so nice to these people who show nothing but disrespect? Uh, Throw rocks, for instance, on Jewish worshipers who are praying at the Western Wall. They call it the Wailing Wall. By the way, the Wailing Wall is a derogatory term. It's a way of uh, Muslims putting down the Jews. Oh, look look at them down there. All they can do is wail and cry Mm. and look at us. We control this particular piece Mm. of real estate. So if you call it the Wailing Wall in Israel, you might get some funny looks from
0: some They don't people. call it that. No, the, no. <laughs> the Jews call it the Western Wall. Yeah. And, it's
2: very, and, and that's the place where obviously you see people standing in front of it, and they're genuflecting and doing their ritual prayers. You see all kinds of people putting prayers written on pieces of paper in the yeah. cracks of the wall and so forth. But uh, on a semi-regular basis, uh, the Muslims get whipped up. Uh, if you are there, for instance, before Friday prayers, what kind of... Uh, uh, instructions, sermonettes, do you tend to hear from these people running the show?
1: Pretty much every kind of sermon that is, of course, kept from public ears the sort of calls towards violence that they pray every single morning for Allah's curse to be upon those who are right, who have gone astray, that is the Jewish people, and those who have been deceived, that is the Christians, the al Kiteb, as they're called in Arabic. Every single morning, the Muslim begins with a curse on their lips towards the Jews and Christians and prays for Allah's curse to be upon them, and then noting that their founder and their ultimate paragon, Muhammad, made his last words. Passing from this world curses upon the Jews and Christians, and also the final major revelation of the Quran, Surah al-Nisa, which is Surah 9, is a ultimate marching order call to violence to subjugate the Jews and Christians and expel them from the Arabian Peninsula, and also noting in History of al tabari which is the primary, for at least uh, Sunni Muslims, uh, historical record of Muhammad's narrative, said he was planning to do that since he first thought he was a prophet. So the calls for conquest, the calls for subjugation of the Jews and Christians, and the annihilation of the polytheists, that is, of course, another term they use for Christians, but just Zoroastrians and Persians in general, and anyone who doesn't submit to Allah. When, of course, you pay the jizya, that is a poll tax, and a basically extortion pay to live in Muslim lands. without like 90% you of your income, right? About um, half. yeah. But uh, certainly exorbitant tax rates because of what you believe which is one of the fundamental human rights that, ironically enough, the UN condemns but welcomes nations on their panels who support Sharia law and the enforcement of these tax policies. That being said, the emphasis that we need to all take to heart and to mind is that truth matters. And when people have chosen to follow a lie, whether you think that it matters or not, people are suffering because of it. Nations are being oppressed because of it. And God's chosen people have been made the target of it going all the way back from the Pharaoh of Egypt in the Exodus to the modern day. And knowing it's going to continue until the time of the Antichrist, we can't necessarily pray for it to cease, but we can ask for the kind of hope and heart that we need in the midst of this. Yeah, and uh, you know, I
2: I guess uh, what it kind of comes down to is is this, this could be quite possibly uh, something that could lead to the kind of arrangement we see in uh, Revelation chapter 11. Uh, another step uh, towards what Zechariah predicts about all nations of the world being united against Israel. Uh, certainly that may very well happen uh, in uh, in. Uh, the UN Security Council. The other thing is this, people say, you know, why hasn't God judged America yet? You know, there's the old saw that if God doesn't uh, judge the United States soon, he's gonna have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Well, I think one of the reasons God hasn't judged us is because we stand with Israel. And if we no longer stand with Israel, uh, I think all bets are off. Mm. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Yeah, Mm. uh, that's true, but God is also a God of justice. And we do see that God not only has plans to deal with Israel, but uh, you read through the prophets and you discover that God also had plans to deal with nations mm-hmm. that committed themselves uh, to an unrighteous path. So we need to pray that cooler heads prevail. Uh, I think it would be political suicide uh, to uh, see, say, the, uh, the current administration uh, take up too much of a hardcore position against Israel. Uh, Israel is very well thought of on both sides of the political divide. Uh, so I'm hoping that that's uh, what happens, but you never know. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, you mentioned yeah, go ahead. You mentioned this
0: website All Israel News. Is that a website you recommend for anybody who wants to Yeah, allisrael.com keep their, is is the website.com. Yeah, that,
2: that's uh that's uh, Joel Rosenberg's website and it's an Oh, it's so oh, great. It's an excellent place to go in and and uh, get uh, caught up to date. On things, uh, also, I would I would disagree with Joel that there was no reason for Itamar Ben Gvir to go to the Temple Mount. There was a very important reason spiritually and biblically, but uh, politically, uh, pretty much uh, has uh, muddied the waters, so mm, to speak. It'll be yeah, interesting and- to see how a seasoned politician like Benjamin Netanyahu navigates the first big challenge of his new prime ministership. Sure. The only other thing I wanted to mention as far as uh, prophecy updates and things in the news, uh, a lot of uh, comments being made uh, about uh, the uh, the tragic event uh, that took place uh, where uh, DeMar Hamlin uh, of the, the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, literally had a heart attack on the field on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Monday night football game was canceled and so on. He is uh, currently uh, in a... Uh, 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 I guess a medically induced coma, uh, we really don't know a whole lot more as far as updates on his condition. But uh, very interestingly, uh, on NFL Live on ESPN, you want to talk about uh, signs of the times and uh, things I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. On uh, NFL Live, when they were reporting on this, one of the commentators, a uh, former uh, quarterback, uh, Dan Orlo- Orlovsky of the D- Detroit Lions, Uh, asked his colleagues to take a moment and pray uh, for DeMar Hamlin, and he prayed this prayer, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, because we believe that you are God, and coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad, we're angry, we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for DeMar, for healing for DeMar, for comfort for DeMar. Be with his family to give them peace. We believe that prayer didn't work. We wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin in your name. Amen. Well, (laughs) talk about things I never thought I would see in my lifetime on ESPN. Mm. The NFL Live turned into a prayer meeting. How about that? (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) So be praying for DeMar Hamlin and for his family. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Thank you for for sharing those things. Again, there's that website, uh, allisrael.com, if you'd like to keep up to date with those things going on as well. I've got some questions coming in. Thank you for them, uh, Taylor, one of our regulars. Good to, uh, to see you joining us. This came in through our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. He asks, should a man kill in the defense of his family?
1: <clears throat> well, you set up the scenario that your family's in a position where they need defending, but the question is, of course, is that the first option? Is that an option that you should choose? And, of course, what is the limits to that? Mm-hmm. Obviously, when we go to the Old Covenant and the Levitical law, israel is given a provision for home invasion that there is no blood required of you if it's at night if they have come on you and of course they have violent intent but then there's people who take this and apply it to very loose and very borderline oppressive laws for home invasion saying that you could be arrested if they don't show violent intent that if they're just stealing your property that's not violent intent and of course uh, atheist activists have even gone out of their way to defend home invasion if it means they can get a jab in at the bible so when it comes to our worldview, we should first make sure we're not looking at the bible and saying well what uh, what can i and can't i do to the guy got locked up in my basement no it's what is the situation and when it comes to the whole the law and the prophets that's a reference to the whole old testament Jesus said this, I should love my neighbor as myself. That's as much in balance of mind of your family as it is with your enemy. But noting a sense of priority, the example that you set and the priority you have to love your family against those who do you harm, it's the same as modeling the heart of God. Yes, God loves the sinner, but he also judges the sinner when he is standing against his people. And if you're put in a position where you have to enact the kind of defense, of your family, that someone means them harm, then understand you don't stand before God condemned any more than a soldier would, and we can see this in Luke chapter 2, I believe, or Luke 3, excuse me, where uh, John the Baptist was asked by Roman soldiers, what should we do to prepare our hearts for the coming of your Messiah? And Mm -hmm. he said, don't intimidate anyone and be content with your wages. He didn't say, stop enacting all shows of violence because that's evil in all situations. You have to note it on a case-by-case basis. You can't say, well, Christians should be pacifists because Jesus said, put away your sword. Because in the same book, three chapters prior, he told them to get a sword because I'm not going to be there to defend you when you're traveling through the roads and the highways and so forth. So the point being made is just that. Make sure that in the situation you can act in love to your family first and to your enemy second. If it is a situation where no one is in danger, then it would be best to let the police do their job because normally in home invasions, their goal is for you to not find out until it's too late. But of course, if you're in a situation, this is my opinion, not scripture, you're in a place where you have to choose between the well-being of your family and of course the well-being of someone who doesn't seek their well-being. There is no condemnation for you in that. If you live in a nation that would uphold that law, I think they'll stand before God righteous. But if you live in a nation that condemns that, then note that regardless of those situations, there's a reason why men are men. And a man who wouldn't defend his family life and limb, tooth, and nail, were they in danger, is not a man, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Would that change, do you think if, um, you know, say I was home alone, Is there a situation where it might be the right thing to just lay my life down because I'm not defending my family, more defending myself? Do you think that kind of changes the... Defending yourself is the principle. If you're in bodily harm and danger, I think that's
1: in line with what Exodus 21 was talking about. But the point being made is it goes on to say if day has risen, meaning that there's been some premeditation, you seek this guy out, you enact vengeance, that's different than defending your person. But if, on the other hand, you live in a... um, Well a nation that has functional laws, and that's a big if nowadays, but there are those who have been given that responsibility, they've been yeah. given the sword, and represent God in that capacity, it would be better to delegate to them. But if you're defending yourself, your home alone, you're defending your property, your pet, that is, of course, yeah. the same principle.
0: Yeah, great. Well, great. Thank you, Taylan. Appreciate that question. Great question. A uh, question from Riley, are there different levels of relationship with God, or is salvation enough? So for instance, if we fast and pray, um, can certain prayers be answered more than others? If one person spends 40 days in prayer, will they be closer to God than, than someone who doesn't? So is there levels of closeness with God through our religious practices? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's
2: the heart that you bring to it. Uh, yeah. Maybe the the best insight into this is in Luke chapter 18, where you see Jesus uh, telling the parable of the Pharisee, and uh, the uh, tax gatherer went up to the temple to pray the pharisee we are told prayed thus with himself i thank you god that i'm not like other men uh adulterers or or extortioners or like this tax gatherer for i fast twice a week i give a tithe of all that i possess uh you know it's interesting how jesus makes the comment uh that the man prayed thus with himself and uh the only one that was impressed with his fasting and with his praying was him, because uh, he was doing it for his own uh, self-righteousness, not as a, uh, a sense of brokenness before God, uh, not as a way of saying thank you for all the things that God had provided. He was, uh, in his mind, keeping up his end of the bargain. Uh, so you can do all of these things. And, you know, the Bible never says don't fast. It certainly never says don't give. But if you give with the idea that, ooh, you know, this is going to really give me a position in the church. You know, I remember early on in our fellowship, a guy was saying, oh, I don't like this and this and this about the church. And I said, well, I'll pray about that. He said, do you know how much I give to this church? And I said, no. And one of the smartest things I've ever done, and I continue it to this day, is I have no idea who gives what to the church because it's a safeguard for me because I'm as fallen and sinful as the, the next person, and if I knew that some guy J.P. Gotrocks was, you know, giving 70% of our, our uh, tithes to the church, uh, I might treat him differently. I might really have a lot of time for him. And mm-hmm. if I, um, conversely, knew that there was a person that was occupying a lot of my time but hadn't given in five years, I'd probably say, hey, you know, why don't you go find someone else to to bother? I don't have time for you. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't know. It's a safeguard for me, but it's also a safeguard for others because it's not giving... And it's not fasting that matters. It's the heart that you bring. Boy, read what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you know, He said that when you fast, don't be as the hypocrites. In other words, we can do all these things to be seen by men. And Jesus said, you do that, you've got your reward. So if we do it with the right heart, uh, we do it seeking the Lord, then, then that's awesome and great. You know, the Bible does say grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, again, Peter made the statement, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, The Christian life, like any other relationship, is a growing thing. We get to know God better as time goes on. uh, We get to uh, go through experiences where we learn to trust him more. Uh, we, we learn to have experiences where we see his power at work within our lives. We spend time daily in the Word and become familiar with it. You know, Sean, uh, we, we oftentimes get the comment, both of us, uh, that, oh boy, you know, I, I just I, I just couldn't under, uh, grasp the Bible like you do. You know all these scriptures. Well, you know, for me, I've been reading the Bible every day of my Christian life pretty much. Every day I've been conscious since 1973. Sooner or later, some of it sticks. Uh, so, you know, it's not a, a question of some people are more gifted or some people are just more naturally inclined. It's just a question of, of really pursuing the Lord, you know, uh, really, uh, just desiring a relationship with him. Jesus said, you'll, or in uh, Jeremiah, we're told, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Uh, so if we have that wholehearted pursuit of God, uh, we're going to find him. And, and here's the wonderful thing. God's far more interested in connecting with us than we are with him. I mean, he proved right. that when Jesus died right. for us. Uh, that's pretty passionate. Yep. So God's not the one who's holding out. Uh, if we seek him, we're going to find him. And uh, when we find him, we're going to find everything else we were seeking with him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Second um, Peter chapter one, verses five through 10. Again, you probably are familiar with the passage to add to these things uh, from knowledge, virtue, virtue, self-control, so on and so forth. But follow in regards to your question verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, meaning they're regularly there, they've set up a tent there, literally. It says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So if we want to benefit from our fellowship from Jesus in a way that impacts our face, so to speak. Right. It starts with the practical. Do I know the God I'm worshiping? Am I applying those facts about him to my life? Are they making a tangible impact on the things I do and don't do? And of course, is this affecting my attitude and time? And noting that these things are a process and that one tends to build off of another, uh, respected uh, Bible teacher in our live, Dave Rolfe, described this not even necessarily as like levels as in you move on from knowledge to virtue, then you don't need to pursue any more knowledge. You got the virtue now. No, it's like a dance, and the steps continue to flow as needs and moments and situations arise. But understanding that if we treat, like you were saying, Dad, the uh, concept of fasting or prayer as the eight-year-old equivalent of I'm going to hold my breath (laughs) <laughs> or withhold a meal from you mm. from myself until God gives me what I want, whether it's something good, like an answer to prayer, but in the way I want it, right. That's not fellowship, that's coercion. Likewise, if I take the approach to God and say, oh well, you know, I've done these things, therefore He owes me something. God doesn't play those games either. Make sure that your approach to God is biblical and that the fellowship is the same as you would expect or treat it of anyone else.
0: Mm. Very good. Great question, Riley. Thank you for that. Great great answers too. Hope that helps you out and blesses you as you walk with the Lord uh, today and onwards. A uh, question from, um, well, your brother, Rick, your uncle, Rick. Yeah, I, I've met him, but I can't call him family. Yeah. Um, well, family you got. His family you got? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, his question is, how does he respond to someone who would say that The Nazis were Christians or a Christian group.
1: Yeah, just make (laughs) sure you define their terms. If you're talking to a sincere person, you just ask where and when. Or in this case, okay, the National Aryan Socialist Party, what part of that espouses the name of Jesus? And they'd say, well, it's not their political party. It was the fact that some of them were Christians. Now, suddenly, we're narrowing things down. Does Nazi equal Christian or were some Christians Nazis? What makes someone a Nazi? what makes someone a Christian. If they define Nazi as someone who upholds whatever conservative values that are condemned on the internet today, then they're not being sincere and you don't really have to talk to them Or because it would basically be a waste of time. They're going to twist anything that you would say into, well, that's just because you're a Nazi. If, on the other hand, they actually care about what words mean, then understand Nazi has as much a meaning to it as Christian. A Nazi is someone who upholds National Socialism and wants to uphold that in such a way as it was specifically demonstrated in 1930s and 40s Germany under the spearhead of the brown coats and Adolf Hitler, their figurehead, but others were involved with it as well when we ask the question, what is Christianity? It was not a political movement, unless in the broadest of sense you're claiming that Jesus is king, in which case that is a very political statement, but it is of course not a call for national identity or the uh, expulsion of private property for the sake of the uh, elation of the state. Christianity is the claim of three simple facts. First, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Jewish Messiah, that the God of Israel has demonstrated his existence through point A, and that, of course, through his death and resurrection, that point B, that demonstration, we have a relationship with God. None of that is tandem with the Nazi Party's values. And If you say that someone like a, not just a Nazi Party member, but they would say, well, Hitler was a Christian, you can maybe take my approach with a little bit of snark and say, right, Hitler worshiped a Jew who told people to love their enemies and pray for those who despitefully use them. But if you want to be, uh, or I guess if you're earlier on in the conversation and they've demonstrated some goodwill, they're maybe concerned about this fact rather than just throwing it in your face to dismiss a point, you need to get to the heart of the issue. What do words mean? Does a Christian mean something? Does Hitler fit that description? does nazi mean something does hitler meet that description to the latter i'd say yes to the former i'd have questions and hopefully they are asking them as well but if they're just making statements the person who would level the accusation well hitler was a christian a probably doesn't know hitler's first name and b doesn't even understand the concept of what it means to be a nazi so make sure that truth matters to both parties talking otherwise giving a true answer isn't going to matter define your terms, if that is going to get you anywhere, then knowing what a Nazi actually is might help put a distinction between it and what a Christian is. And, of course, if you can define what a Christian is, hey, I just gave a three-bullet-point summary of the gospel, and I'd say that was more productive than any discussion of politics.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, you know, again, uh, one of the things you have to— the only thing I I would uh, encourage someone to do who actually thinks that— uh, is to encourage them to take a look into the history, because it's very easily accessible. Uh, you read, for instance, the uh, writings of Heinrich Himmler. Uh, Heinrich Himmler, who was the head of the SS, uh, and the architect of the final solution, doing away with the Jews. That was the first step. Uh, Hitler and uh, his insiders all believed that uh, Christianity was far too Jewish and was anti-Aryan, that their ultimate goal was to orient the German people to worship the pagan Aryan gods of their ancestors, which they considered pure religion. Now, they could use the church to accomplish their particular ends, but well, you, you read, uh, you know again, looking up Heinrich Himmler and some of the statements that were made and the uh, campaigns that the SS uh, conducted uh, propaganda-wise, uh with the uh, the german people through goebbels and others l- along this line they changed german christmas carols to singing about the superiority of the nazi race mm. they tried to edit you know we talk about taking christ out of christmas they were the first ones that really made a systematic effort to do such a thing oh. uh, so you know for someone to say that i think adolf hitler uh was was a christian um he was raised, I think, in a Roman Catholic kind of a background, but uh, pretty much jettisoned that very early on in his life. Uh, you know, again, a tree's known by its fruit. If you want to say, well, you know, you might you know I've read some speeches where he claims to be a Christian. Well, okay, I, I can claim to uh, you know live in a garage, but that doesn't make me a chevy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you can judge who a real Christian is by their fruit. And I would say, Uh, Without fear of contradiction here, I don't mean to be judging anybody, but uh, if you uh, wholeheartedly oversaw the slaughter and devastation over six million people for no other crime than being sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says no murderer
1: has eternal life within him. So Mm -hmm. the idea of Adolf Hitler being a Christian is a non-starter. And plus, if you want to maybe have a little bit of fun with them, again, judge your audience, but maybe say... Uh, politicians said something in a speech, and you come to conclusions. I've heard politicians say that does not depend on what your definition of what is, is. Politicians can lie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys ready for a quick speedy question? We literally have like two minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, from Taylor, and again, Is is friendship vital before marriage? How does one pursue a relationship with a potential romantic interest? This is interesting because back in biblical times, it was very different. (laughs) Yeah, arranged marriages, yeah. Yeah. Proverbs
1: 31 and Ephesians 5, understand your goal, your end game for the marriage, for the relationship, and if that starts with a positive social relationship, I think you're doing it right.
2: Yeah, I think Levi Lesko's uh, famous quote, uh, run hard after Jesus, and if you see somebody uh, keeping up, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody, it's very important to not just have romantic feelings toward them, but to actually like them. Uh, to have some admiration <laughs> what? for them. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the real kickers for me uh, in terms of my decision to marry my wife, Pam, was seeing what she did for a living when I met her. She mm. worked with severe and profoundly handicapped uh, kids, teaching them PE. And I went to an open house, and I saw how these uh, kids, uh, a lot of them, uh, even teenagers, were not high-functioning mentally, mm. but they knew who loved them. And they were all Mm. over Pam, like white on rice. Mm. And you can't fake that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that you should look for. Not necessarily the cosmetics, because that's going to change sooner or later, but character. That's what you should really be looking for. And that takes a while to really figure out. People can, you know, fake it till you make it and put on the Mirage Man or the Mirage Woman kind of a thing. Oh, well, I'll play spiritual here because they're spiritual. But take enough time to find out where they're really coming from. And, uh, you know, don't rush into these kind of things. You know, love suffers long and is kind. Love's patient. Lust is not.
0: Mm. Great. 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 Well, thank you. Well, you did great. Well, we're out of time for today. Thank you for joining us. We're sorry if we didn't get to your question. I made a note of them. We can get to them first thing uh, tomorrow or join us again. We're back from our Christmas break now, so we're back our regular schedule, Monday through Friday, five till six. We're mountain time, is that right? No, yeah. Standard are. time. Four yeah. o'clock Pacific, yeah. Pacific. Yeah. Pacific, yeah. So join us then. God bless you.
1: You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time.